Hello, my suicidal listeners. Today is a very special episode. We are trying out two new things for you. The first is a new series. The second is that we're drinking a new beverage. Oh, that's true. This one is uh, really high quality. I believe it's out of France, and region of France. Yeah, it's sparkling, yes it is. Sparkling white wine. Sparkling uh, the champagne of... Of beer. Of beer. Yeah, Miller High Life, 32-ounce can. Yeah, because Silver Reserve won't get back to us about a sponsorship. <laughs> and the only fucking flavor they have at my local gas station is Blackberry. <sighs> Fuckers. Okay, anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> on to the important things, though. We are debuting a new series today. That's right. And it is... Well, we don't have a name for it. Yeah, let's, uh, we'll see if we can come up with one during the episode. But, but we're going to talk about three albums. Yep. Uh, one of them is going to be a... Uh, a retro record in our arbitrary definitions, meaning pre-2000. And one will be after 2000. Oh, my God. And then our special third album is a uh, an interesting thing. We decided on a like random selection off of a database. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah, but... Uh, but basically, we got new album, newish album, retro-ish album, and random album. Yeah, random album from God knows where. Mm-hmm. So, we'll start with the new album. All right. So, for the new album, I picked... Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. God, you're such a hipster fuck. Let's listen a little, shall we?
That was the first track off of Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot called I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Mm, yeah. I do like this album quite a bit. I haven't listened to it nearly as much as you have. But uh, Let me take you listeners back to oh. a story. A story of a young high school guitar player <laughs> who had just done a jazz band trip to San Francisco and is on his way back home and driving in his friend's mom's car. And he decided to put an album on that it, he had not heard before. And that changed his life. I'm not adding anything to this, dude. You keep going. <laughs> I'm enjoying the story. That was probably the story of some asshole who heard this album. But this was a pretty big album back in the days. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was. A uh, little backstory. So originally it was supposed to be released uh, 2001, specifically September 11th, 2001. Oh, which is kind of interesting because there's a couple references to uh, some post 9-11 things in the songs. Interesting. There's a song called like Ashes of the American Flag. Right. Uh, Jesus, etc. has stuff about skyscrapers and buildings shaking. Yeah. The album cover is two yes, large that, that, towers. That's definitely the most striking thing about it. Yeah. So either this is purely coincidental or bush did 9-11 and wilco was in on it that's right or wilco knew about it through their own network of spies. that's right yeah exactly which could explain the next thing so they recorded this album and then the label didn't want to release it because it was not pop enough okay. or it was a conspiracy or exactly theory. that's what i'm thinking like, no because probably it was not pop enough um but i don't know how familiar you are with wilco's previous albums before this um enough I know, like, one of them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so they started out as pretty much like an alt-country folk band, like nothing special, really, just doing kind of twangy shit. Uh, they were experimenting a little bit more with, like, production and more, like, sounds kind of stuff, but mm -hmm. this was such a big change from their previous things. Actually, I think the album before this was a uh, Woody Guthrie like kind of cover thing where they like redid his music with some other singer or something okay so this is quite a departure from that were uh, they on the same label from then and then? i believe well okay so they were on warner brothers mm -hmm. they had a guy at warner brothers that was like really gung-ho about them warner brothers merged with aol they fired a bunch of people got a new guy in he did not like this at all so he was like you guys can't release this so they were like well fuck you we're getting out of this contract uh, basically, at the very end of the day, they were going to make have to buy it, but they ended up giving it to them for free. Okay. Um, during all this, the album was leaked, though. So people were downloading it. Wilco was upset that people were listening to low-quality MP3s, so they decided to stream it on their website. Which And back in the days. Yeah, 2001, yeah. that was not a very common thing to do. Right. And they ended up getting just like thousands and thousands of hits on their website. Mm -hmm. And then finally in 2012, they actually, or 2002, I mean, they finally released the album. Wow. Officially. So it had kind of a rough uh, coming out. There's actually a whole documentary about it <laughs> called I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. Oh, wow. So if you want to learn more about that, check that out. It's not that bad. But it comes from a lot of turmoil, and in a weird, like, post-9-11 setting, it seemed to mean more than it really did. What does that mean, exactly? Well, a lot of critics kind of, like, landed on the stuff we were just saying about oh, how, yeah. you know, all the references. When they, Obviously, they didn't really mean it, because it was all recorded before 9-11 right. happened. And I don't think Jeff Tweedy is that good of a songwriter, necessarily, <laughs> and his lyrics are vague enough that they can mean every, anything, but... 
I will say it definitely is a record of its time. Yeah, it definitely has a you know a big two thousands indie vibe for sure. Yes. I mean, who knows whether it's you know like the progenitor of its. I mean, type, but I like, think it, it was it was just this time period where. I mean, this has happened before, too, but this was a really good time period where a lot of these indie artists were taking various influences and putting them in their music. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that that was also having appeal to the, you know, modern listener. Right. So, like, you know, maybe Wilco wasn't necessarily on the radio, but most people knew who they were and they were listening to this album. Mm-hmm. Um and that's honestly one of my favorite periods of music when this was happening because it seemed like yeah you could kind of do anything and but people are still making really good pop songs. Mm-hmm. I know so, I'm a huge Shins fan, dude. Okay, <laughs> but at its heart, this is very much a pop album. Yeah, it's a very interesting and well done pop album. Yes, and but, you know they use all sorts of noise and other kind of cool things as well. And right, introducing their music and mm-hmm. it creates cool effects. So, I mean, here's some more background on the album. Oh. So, two major changes on this album. First is they fired the drummer and got another guy in. Because apparently the drummer could not really realize their envis- uh, like vision of more of a percussive yeah. kind of parts. Which this album, I think maybe like three songs have more, like have like a drum beat. <laughs> the rest are all just sort of all sorts of weird shit happening. A lot mm-hmm. of weird percussion and the beats are more parts, I would say. Totally. Um also this was the last album that jay bennett was on and it seems that he was more of the experimental one as terms of music sound think jeff tweedy the lead singer and songwriter he had more like concepts he knew what he wanted to do he wanted to do something different but if you watch the documentary it seems like they really kind of uh, we're not agreeing on a lot of stuff, and Jeff Tweedy didn't seem to really care that much about <laughs> particular soundscapes and things like that. Right. He just had his own macro Yeah, vision. whereas Jay was more like, okay, well, we have 10 seconds of noise. If we started here, it'll sound like this. If we started here, it'll sound like this. Right. And Jeff was like, I don't give a fuck. Just fucking do just it. Just make yeah. it happen. So this was the last album he worked on, and you can tell because the next one is not as good, even though it's similar in style to this. But it's just missing the extra it bit. It misses it. Um, but the other major change was having Jim O'Rourke uh, mix it. Nice. And he had worked with some like Sonic Youth and mm-hmm. like hundreds of people. Yeah, his name's on. Yeah, great producer. Yeah. So I'm not sure um, he mixed it well after they recorded it. So listening to the album, I'm not sure how much of the electronic noise was in there beforehand or how much he added. But overall, the production on this and the mixing on this is amazing. Yeah. And uh, don't let the somewhat lo-fi nature of some of the tracks fool you. That is very, very intentional. It is. Uh, yeah. also another thing I like about this period is that people were actually incorporating lo-fi textures with these sort of high production yes. things. But specifically, the shout-outs to the piano all throughout the album. Mm-hmm. just sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. This shitty little upright yeah. thing found in Jeff Tweedy's garage. A lot of the electric guitar as well. Yeah. It's just sort of like, ooh, it's garagey as fuck. Yeah, they recorded it in like you know someone's bathroom. It does sound like that. Yeah. And then it's mixed with all these sort of like samples and mm-hmm. weird... And these synths that are very... Yeah. Yeah. very clean across the frequency spectrum yeah. i mean the other like the details like if you compare i'm trying to break your heart and uh jesus etc and uh radio cure for instance mm-hmm. all of those every section has a lot of different details happening oh yeah like verse to verse even the melody the melody is the same the chords are the same but all the background parts are totally different but comparing song to song it's like they don't do the same thing twice. It's not like, 
oh yeah, every song, the second verse, we're going to add this sound or that. Right, 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 right. You know, you know, Jesus, et cetera, is very acoustic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this one, I'm trying to break your heart. There's all sorts of weird kind yeah, of like there's noise gate, effects. noise gates, yeah, like, some like jingly shit. Yeah, there's all sorts of really good stuff. Yeah, in there. yeah, it's like the ugh, the mixing. I think really is the key on this album. Yeah, it's um. And it just makes me wonder when you picture, like, because you can hear when you listen to, like, even the first track, like, how many different little tiny things there are. The only thing I could picture while I was watching is, like, how much fucking work it must have taken to sit oh, in front must. of a doll in, ni- or, like, what, 1999 or whatever they were working on 2001. Yeah, that's when they were trying to release a bit. Yeah. Like, we're trying to work on this in that time. And there's, like, you know, 112 tracks. Oh, and, like, yeah, there must be. Two of them are for, like, one second. And, like, that's so much work. I mean, work. you know, props to them. And, like... You could say, you know, Radiohead was doing this kind of thing before that, but I don't think Radiohead ever really wrote songs that were quite as good as this. Yeah, I could totally agree with like, that. Like, they might have gone a little more experimental with their stuff, which is cool, but these are just good songs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I don't think the lyrics are that good, but it's good music. Yes. Like, it's, I wouldn't say there's songs I don't like, but I don't think there's necessarily filler tracks on this. No, there's not enough. There's, there's not that many tracks on this album. There's not. Um, there's eleven. Is that right? So like, that's not enough. Room. Yeah, eleven tracks total. Oh, well, it's fifty-one minutes. Yeah, that's true. You know, the tracks are long. I think the first and last one are both seven minutes plus. Yeah, they are. Um, but yeah, again, sometimes I don't like the songs, but I don't think they're bad necessarily. I don't think they were just like, oh yeah, we'll throw that in. Right. Every song has a clear purpose and they were trying to say something with it. Yeah. Yeah. The label isn't pressuring them to put extra time on a CD. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently they even like held off uh, after they got the rights back signing to a label. They were just trying to find the perfect person to release this. Mm -hmm. And I think it was cool. Uh, If you look, the next album, Ghost is Born, again, without Jay Bennett on it. And I believe Jim O'Rourke became an official member for that album and very similar style but like we're saying not quite the same magic yeah it's missing some of the flair it's missing and then that's why i think jeff tweedy was more of a concept guy over a sound guy yeah yeah, yeah. and then after that that's when they hired nels klein Mm -hmm. to play guitar and obviously he can do all sorts (laughs) of crazy shit but he doesn't really do that in wilco he plays very by the book actually he is he plays some kind of weird solos but nothing nothing like this yeah 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 and i mean honestly i think there's just been a decline in wilco ever since this Uh, nels decline yeah yeah you know some would say that this is wilco is the best modern rock band Oh, yeah. Some would say that. Some would say that. I definitely wouldn't say that. I would not either, but some might. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. He's never going to listen to it. Whatever. (laughs) But any uh, honorable mentions on that or anything? Um, Not really. I just kind of want to see if we can uh, boil our thoughts about this album down to like a nice succinct sentence or two. I mean, it's it's hard with this album. I think it's, like I said, it's very of its time. Mm -hmm. People are trying all this stuff out. And I think Wilco succeeded a lot more than others had. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot to do with who they collaborated with. Um, And it was also a time where maybe the record companies were not behind them so much, but it was also the beginning of their downfall. Yeah. Where, you know, streaming and downloading were getting, you know, more and more. So that's why they were hesitant to release it. And Wilco essentially was just like, nah, fuck that. I know this is good. And yeah. they were right because they released it on their website, and they just and they got, got like shit tons of hits. Of hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I would say is that this is a strikingly complex album for what it is. This is, you know, this is a this is an indie album. There's 11 tracks. They're all pop structure for the most part, 
But like like we were talking about, there's so many like hidden little details everywhere. Like every ten seconds, there's mm-hmm. some new sound that adds to some whatever, and it's it's really nice to listen to so much attention to detail. Oh yeah, I could go track by track on this album. Oh, we yeah. talk about it for a while. But this is a three episode album, not a one episode album. <laughs> a three album episode. Oh shit, fuck it. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I also kind of want to talk about Warner Brothers really fast. Oh yeah, Warner Brothers in the '90s was a pretty awesome label. Uh, the only reason I actually say that, the, I only know, like, they have the, they had some of the major, major artists, but they also signed people like Mr. Bungle yeah. for, like, multi-record deals. Uh, I believe they put four albums out under Warner Brothers, and they got, like, very, very weird. And they still released it, and they didn't dump them after the weird ones. Well, like I said, the original guy they had was really into Wilco, but it yeah. was only after the merger with AOL. And then, of course, probably people not buying albums anymore, <laughs> that you know, pressure started to rise, and they couldn't be doing this weird shit. Right, yeah. Even though by today's standards, like, or even by then, like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as weird as a lot of shit that was happening before that. Yeah, but there's, but, like, you know, staticky noise and, like, yeah. uh, things that might turn off uh, someone but, listening But, you know, it was just kind of interesting, because I think about, like, you know, the 60s, a Beatles had that shit a lot of bands from then had that but you didn't really hear that in the 80s and the 90s Mm -hmm. well it was like alternative like underground shit but yeah well in the 80s they were really going for how clean could you get something they were well that's what i like about this it's clean and dirty at the same time Mm. just like me wow i think that is enough to sum up the rest of that that's a good ending (laughs) note right there wilco clean and dirty oh just like matt i would like to uh special mention heavy metal drummer as being an amazing pop song <laughs> yeah, with yeah. lyrics oh, that shit, are yeah. so funny God, in that, that one, setting. I don't, I'm bad with track titles. Is that the one that's like dating the drummer? Yeah. yeah dude, that song it's, is it's, so good. It's so good. And it's talking about a heavy metal guy with like tight pants and bleach blonde <laughs> hair. And they're playing Kiss covers. But it's like one of the happiest pop songs. And like the hook. It's so I, good. It, it, the hook is so strong and very, very memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think standout track, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Good shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fire. Yeah. It's really good, man. Well, do you think we should move back to retro? All right, let's uh, take a trip back in time. Yeah, we're not going that far back, as it turns out. So uh, this album was released seven years prior, which makes our uh, our arbitrary listening point of 2000 kind of hilarious at this point. But we're talking about... It does about a... sound completely different, it to does. be fair. It does. It's actually insane. And the singer is much, much, you know, much, much older than that. Uh, we're talking about Joni Mitchell. And uh, as far as a brief introduction to Joni Mitchell, you probably don't really need it, but, you know, one of the most respected singer-songwriters probably ever, probably the most ever, like Bob Dylan. She's up there. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, has huge respect from every aspect of the musical community, and she got famous uh, on many different, like, little tiny genres, and she's a really weird guitar player, and it sounds really good. She has alternate tunings, she plays baritone guitar, and it always sounds good, and, like, her comping patterns are always like a little unique basically what i'm saying is she's a fucking badass but we go to this album and things are things are changing we're in the 90s this is 1994 this is her like 10th album oh is it even that early it's what is it even that early this, this album 1994 yeah. i mean like 10 I, oh yeah she's yeah, had yeah. so many she's had she's had a lot Oh, sorry, number 15, you're okay, right. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. 10 seems a little soon. Yeah, so this album was uh, widely regarded as her best album since the 70s. Because she, a lot of people say she had a period in the, you know, late 70s, 80s that was like, you know, kind of bad. Like a lot of artists had well, in that time frame. Let's uh, play a little. What album is this? This is called uh, Turbulent Indigo. 
And uh, just take an ear for what you think of as Joni Mitchell, and then listen to this and see what happens. She pulls the shade, it's just another sunny Sunday. She dodges the light, light flash to Bright colors fade away on such a sunny Sunday. She waits for the night to fall Then she points a pistol Through the door And she aims at the street light While the freeway hisses So, uh, yeah, this sounds so much different than all other Joni. And the reason for that is, A, she's been smoking for 25 years plus. Yep. And her voice, as you may or may not be able to tell, is like, her testatura has gone down by like an octave. It's not as bad as it gets, though. No, She no, can no, no, still no. hit some notes. Yeah, no, she she still has quite the range. It's just gone, you know. Oh, it's, yes. It's shifted it's from here lot. to here. You know, it's gone down like If you hear it now, it's just like... <laughs> sounds a lot like the next band we're going to talk about. <laughs> oh, that's only funny to us for now, but you'll get it in about 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, as usual, most of this album is, you know, social commentary of various types. But we're not going to talk about that shit because I don't know any about that. But, uh... I just want to talk about the new production of Joni Mitchell. Because, obviously, this sounds a lot different than some lady with a guitar backing herself up with her voice five times multi-tracked. There are so many, like, top-quality musicians and producers on this album that it just kind of boggles my mind. We're just going to list some of it. Uh, Larry Klein is on bass and organ. He plays for, like, or he played for Herbie Hancock, and he played for every jazz musician that's famous ever. And Wayne Shorter, who you heard playing loud single notes on soprano sax through the whole track. Uh, yeah, dude. Michael Landau's on it. He is a beast. Seal is on this album. It's Although, unfortunate. It's bad. Yeah, Seal on this album sounds kind of whack. But basically, there's all these people, and it just kind of just goes to show you the respect Joni Mitchell has garnered over time for her strong, detail-oriented writing. And her, the way she delivers lines in her songs, she she puts the utmost care into every portion of her song, and I think that really holds true to this album, even though it sounds so much much different. We'll be a little real right now. I did not like this album that much. 
You didn't? I, I'm a little meh about it. I don't think it's bad, but I'm a little meh. You're a little meh? I think I don't like the production. Why is that? It has that terrible smooth 90s sound. Oh, dude. I mean, so this is in the middle of smooth 90s. I know, and I think it kind of ruins some of these songs. I disagree. I think the second and third track, which have Michael Landau on it. Yeah. And I love him, but I think... I think those don't sound that good. I think the volume jump between track one and track two is insane. Yes. That so, is so off-putting. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I can say that tracks two and three are probably the weaker tracks on the album. I think that, yeah. I. But I still like them both. I think they're both really good. Well, she's always a good songwriter. Although, mm-hmm. overall, I know we're not talking too much about lyrics because we don't know about it that much. But yeah. feels a little preachy. On some of these tracks. Okay, so Joni Mitchell has been preachy since 1969. I know, but I think before she could put it off, like, do it better. But I think there's something about how sterile the tracks are behind her. I do not think these are sterile. I, I think they're... Not all of them. Yeah. But I think some of them are, and mm. I don't... I really enjoy the last four songs. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Those, I think it's a really great yeah, run right favorite, there. My favorite track on this is the third to last. Which, by, by far, it's called Borderline. Oh, my favorite is uh, Yvette in English, that actually. That song's tight, dude. Yeah. I think that's some good stuff. Wayne Shorter, of course, sounds, sounds great amazing. on all of this. Yeah. I do think the production is not doesn't really no, fit dude. her. I don't think it fits her. Well, that might just fit your image of her. Because, like, think about this. So, the production is really, really warm, I would describe it as. Very clean and warm. And that includes her guitar as well. Mm-hmm. But I think that fits... A lot of her new voice, which has gone down quite a bit into this mid-range. I think it also fits the songs as much as I'm going to try and be, you know, thematic about her lyrics. And I don't know anything about lyrics, so feel free to stop me. I mean, like, you know, like people do love this album. Mm -hmm. To me, though, it sounds sort of like Hegira, but without all the cool 70s production. (sighs) And the 90s production, which I will, you know, it's like that's what it sounded like then. And I accept that. Mm -hmm. But I I don't feel like Joni ever really got that polished or poppy before this sounds too like click tracky this sounds too you know electronic drums i don't Mm -hmm. you know the bass are you saying it possibly like contrasts or messages or like i mean i just don't get it as a project i guess is what i'm saying no i totally get it it's it's warm it sounds great I think her her singing on it sounds amazing. I think uh, they mixed sing- her voice with yeah, the her, tracks. Her, her voice very, sounds very good. Well. Like she sounds good. It's everything else I don't like. Mm, nah. So I think the drums on this whole album are you know very very understated, which is to its benefit. It's all you know a lot of it's very light brushwork with this light little bass drum kind of ground. That it. I don't mind. It's really the more like electronic sound stuff. Yeah, that I you I, know, and I don't like fault her for trying things that were you know relevant at the time Mm -hmm. but to me Joni was always someone that tried different things Mm -hmm. and this just sounds like she's hitting on that 90s smooth shit Uh, yeah you could say that that's a decent argument how she you know she's falling back into the time but think about it this way what's so much different about trying like playing guitar for an entire album like that's you know that's a lot of her previous albums that's not really much different in her production value is like kind of lo-fi I guess well, I mean, you know, back then, that's all you had. Well, that's yeah, guitar. but that's what I'm saying. I'm talking like, more the... like after... Well, even then, you know, like each song is like... She had a lot of guest artists. Like even Hegira, you know. Right. Jocko's on it. Yeah. And then the next one got Neil Young playing harmonica on it. And yeah, I mean, there's lots of guests on this too. There the, are, yeah. but they all kind of washed together. Well, I feel like beforehand... Where they had more of a voice, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, Wayne sounds good, but we've heard Wayne on Joni Mitchell albums for, for like... For like five, five years, years now, yeah. yeah. Other than that, like... 
everyone plays really well. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really stands out too much besides Wayne. Mm-hmm. To me, even, just, even Wayne, you know, has fairly understated parts. He does. As far as, as, far as I, Wayne Shorter goes. Yeah, and I think she, of course, she always writes great songs and, mm-hmm. like, happy, I don't, as I think core, this is not good down, music. Yeah, this is not downgrading her songwriting quality No, all. not at all. I just don't think the production really helps at all, and I think it doesn't... I mean, it's hard to say because at the time, I'm sure it sounded fucking great. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight... I don't think you, it holds up that well. You don't think it ages, ages like a nice fine wine? Exactly. Like our fine Miller High Life <laughs> no, champagne? Exactly. And then, I don't know. It just, it doesn't, like, I like the songs, but there's, I mean, yeah, there's great songwriting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Sunny Sunday. It's an oh, amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. song. It's, oh, it's, yeah, it's such po- a great it's poetic. song. And that, I think that sounds great on this album, but mm-hmm. then it immediately gets so much louder on the second <laughs> track. Is, it is weird. And there's so many instruments happening all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I don't think it's that good, personally. I, I totally disagree. I think this album is an, a worthy entry into the Joni Mitchell catalog, which is extensive and wonderful. Sure, it might be on the top half of her oh, catalog, yeah. <laughs> which isn't hard to do. Well, that's but, true. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think she has a lot of good albums. <laughs> oh, she does, but yeah. she has a lot. She does have a lot of albums. I haven't listened to, like, I've listened to, like, I think eight of her albums. To me, this is like a B-tier version of some of her 70s stuff. I can't. How can you categorize it like that, though? It's it's so much different. It is, but if you take it in the context of like what else was happening at the time, mm-hmm. and how she was able in the seventies to take all the creative aspects of this and make something really organic and cool sounding, whereas this, I still feel this album is quite organic, lively, warm. Uh, yeah, it's warm for being so digital. I'll give it that. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's digital elements, but I find that as no faults whatsoever. I don't think that detracts. I think it maintains its excellence throughout. It's all right. <laughs> I'll give it an all right. But yeah, we, we can. Uh, we there's no disagreeing on the fact that Joni Mitchell is also an excellent singer. Oh yeah. Oh my god. The way she delivers lines is mm-hmm. just unbelievable mm-hmm. and unparalleled by anyone else. And yeah. I have a I have a specific clip from one of the songs I kind of want right, to just play real let's fast. Let's check it out. This is off my favorite track of this album, Borderline. Every storm drawn blast, every mean speech kick ass, every swan cut on the grass will draw borderline. Yeah, that's basically what I'm talking about. The way she approaches the words, the word "kick ass," and she delays it all the way to beat one. No, man. Lands on yeah. the nine of the chord. She's amazing. She's yeah. phenomenal. She's a G. This album's good. Fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I don't really. We'll let the listeners decide. Yes, that's fine. Yeah, listeners at home, put it in the comment section if you think I'm right, or if you think Matt's right, and that makes you an idiot by oh, association. Okay, great. Okay, great. <laughs> No. All right, so on to the random album. Should we talk a little bit about how we came upon this? I definitely think we should. So there is a man out there. Oh, Jesus. There is an Italian man by the name of Piero Scaruffi. I believe we've mentioned him on a podcast episode we before. We might have. If not, we will probably do it a lot more. Yeah. So uh, the briefest intro to him is that he is a fucking weird. He is a fucking weird. He is a fucking weird guy. There we go. Shut up. <laughs> um, he, okay, so for those who are unfamiliar, he is this weird old <laughs> dude who has this website called the Knowledge Database, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he, that's, that's his self-styled thing. And he talks about all sorts of shit, like history and all, like, crazy shit, but, like, 
the thing he's most known for is his music ratings. Yeah. He really I he might have listened to more music than anyone alive. I yeah. swear to God. Yeah, he might dude, he's written more articles about music than he, anyone alive for if sure. If you can go on his website and pick a year and just find tons and tons of albums and mm-hmm. he's rated them and nothing will ever get a 10 because no. he thinks rock cannot get a 10 <laughs> uh, also he hates the beatles and he hates the beatles he fucking hates the he beatles. hates the beatles we're gonna do an episode on him at some point yeah because he is a character man but at the end of the day he does have pretty good taste in music i completely agree and it's hard to argue with that body of work too mm-hmm. like every year you'll find like he'll have a top 100 of like every genre and every year he'll even do like best songs after that too yeah. it's like crazy um found a lot of good music through him mm-hmm. same so we decided to just pick a random album from one of from his lists mm-hmm. and we uh came up with an album that neither of us had heard before so it's perfect and a band that neither of us had heard before that's right and this is deicide on their self-titled <laughs> I cannot believe we landed on that sound. Yeah, this is so you much different than the other the two. Joni before. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, I dug it, though. Dude, I'm down. I liked it. I was I so down it. after listening to 33. It's, I will say, it is mercifully short because yes. the album is literally what you just listened to for 33 minutes, essentially. Pretty much. There's not much tempo difference. There's not much feel difference. Not much timbre difference. You know, not much vocal difference. It's that. But that's death metal for you. Yeah. Uh, a genre I don't really know much about, but from what I uh, researched, this seems to be a classic one. Yeah. And people seem to say it's like, you know, there's not much to it, but it does its job well. <laughs> oh, man. This album was fun to listen to. I will give it that. And I think there are things that lift it up from other, you know, death metal I've heard, which granted is not that much, but I will give a special attention to. The two sets of vocals that kind of happen throughout this album, one of which is this guy, (laughs) I'm fucking awesome, and then the other guy who separates himself and, like, you know, says the same things but a little different, and that kind of gives a cool little texture to it and gives a lift to the choruses, and it's, uh, it's really neat, and I think that puts it in a nice little special place. Let's check that out. (laughs) 
Um, so I will say it goes a little farther than that, though, because although death metal is all about the growl, mm-hmm. there are plenty of bands who did the high pitch thing on top of it. Yeah. However, I forget the singer of this band's name. He claimed no effects were put into his voice on this album. Wait, really? He claimed that, which is obvious bullshit. Yeah. But their whole thing was that they were possessed by demons. And he oh. was saying he was the Antichrist and all this crazy shit. So he was trying to say demons were possessing his voice as he made this album. Nice. And so you hear a little bit more than just the typical, like, okay, you got the low pitch and the high pitch. There's yeah. songs where there's actually some weird vocal shit going on. Like, I th- this song, I think, is fucking amazing, actually. Me- Mephistopheles? Not that one. Oh. On this whole album of songs that sound the same, Dead by Dawn. Ooh, yeah, that's the only one whose title I actually remember. So apparently this is just the retelling of Dawn of the Dead, the movie. Okay. in a song form so i couldn't understand a single word no i couldn't either album, so. but knowing that if you listen to his vocals i think he's trying to get like the zombie sounds in here so let's listen to a bit of this because right. i think the vocal performance on this is actually pretty special okay <laughs> I don't know. I think that's really fucking cool. It's so like it cool. ridiculous and over the top with these little zombie noises in the background. <laughs> like, they're mixed really well too. They are. Yeah. They are. I don't. Again, like I don't know too much about the genre, but I have not heard something quite that <laughs> right. funny before. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. also kind of cool at the same time. Totally agree. And I think it's also prudent to mention that that guitar player is fucking tight <laughs> yeah so apparently they're two guitar players they're brothers um and there wasn't like lead and rhythm they would just both like kind of go back and forth on each nice. song so they both fucking rip jesus christ yeah actually very tight performance yes overall yeah. like it's they're, is, they're good musicians vir- yeah. virtuosic yeah. yeah yeah uh i will say that fucking blast beat gets real old after a while <laughs> on every song <laughs> again 33 minutes, mercifully short. Yes, yes, thank you. But, you know, overall, pleasant surprise. Three. I might put it on when I'm working out or something. <laughs> you know? No, I, uh, I I like that album. Yeah. And I think... Yeah. I was, I was pleasantly surprised, and I think I would listen to it again. I think so, too. Yeah. So, uh... Go check out Piero's Griffey's database. <laughs> and uh, put, put his top 100 into a random number generator like we did. Just don't listen to or read this stuff about 14 um, year olds. Right. And, um, yeah. Do we need to talk? We'll say that for another yeah, episode. Yeah, that's, that's the. Uh, stay tuned, listeners at home. It's a disclaimer. We do not support Piero's Griffey as and, a person. Right. He is, again, fucking weird. 
possibly like a weird sex criminal. But really good music taste. Yeah. So what you're going to do. <laughs> so you got to take, take what you can get, man. <laughs> All right. And that concludes our series of three albums in one episode. Yeah. We got to get a name for that or else it's going to be that every time. How about the three in one? Good one, dude. Let's keep it. Oh. Yeah. That was fucking terrible. Hmm. Yeah. Listeners, help us find a... Uh, Help us find a name. I'm sure we're really going to enjoy all your input. All right. Do you want to do rants first or yeah. music first? So I don't have any rants. Oh. So you first. My rant's a little different today. Nice. My rant is about being in a store and them playing music oh, over no. the speakers and it being... What month is it? Well, no. Not, oh, okay, I'm not okay. even there. I'm not even at the Christmas shit yet. Oh, okay. I was in Target the other day. Okay. And they were playing a remix of Riders of the Storm. Ooh. Like a trap remix or like what? Well, it so happens I found the exact remix that they were playing, <laughs> and so we're going to listen oh, to no. it right now. So oh, put no. your headphones what in, listeners. You, oh, what are you doing to me? Oh! <laughs> oh, you wait. <laughs> Is this going to turn into Riders of the Storm? Oh, just wait. I was pretty upset about this. I love it so far. Yeah, you like that? Uh, like that reharm there? <laughs> please the, turn it off now. I want to skip to the end because it gets a little no, uh, please terrible. Turn it off. I can't do it. <laughs> are those fake horns? Oh, yes, they are. Now, is there any way to behave at a rock and roll concert? If you don't turn it off now, I'm coming over there. All right, I'm coming over there. <laughs> so, Target, let me ask you. Why did you think that was a good idea to play? Why? Dude, why could a, you not play Riders of the Storm? That's a big yikes. Well, because Riders on the Storm is, you know, too low quality production value for our current times. But that is my rant and every other fucking store who plays terrible music. Dude, that is scary. Like, why? Yeah. I, I thought they because I thought it was going to be good because I thought they're going to use a new voice to do it. No, but then no. you know what's his face? Jim Morrison came in. I mean, sometimes you're at like Safeway and they play some like Steely Dan or something, and you're mm-hmm. like, "This is smooth, but yeah, it's Steely. I yeah, can, Steely I, Dan's great. I, yeah. I can vibe." But that happened, and the electronic music actually sucks because <laughs> a lot. There are so many of these shitty fucking covers like this. You have no idea. Well, it's funny. I typed in "Writers of the Storm Remix Target" and that was literally the first hit. Impressive. It but I, were of... there like 300 more? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always 300 more. My favorite are like weird Nightcore remixes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. Fucking Ugh. terrible. Ugh. All they do is like speed it up and then pitch shift it like up. And it's fucking terrible. <sighs> well, I have a very short rant. And it's about playing shitty music with shitty bands. Continue. So, I played this shitty uh, gig with a shitty band. 
And <sighs> I don't even know how to approach the story because every aspect of it's so bad. It would take me so long to get through. Basically, I have a cautionary tale. So I show up to a rehearsal with this band where the only people that show up are the trombone player, the trumpet player, and the sax player. How many uh, people are in the band? Six. So huh. we're missing the entire rhythm section. Well, oh, you're there. Yeah. So two out of six ain't bad. Oh, nice. You know, that actually reduces to one out of three ain't That's bad. true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so get there, and the rehearsal is just completely giant waste of my time. Warning flag number one. Don't play this gig. And then I play the gig, <laughs> and the full band is there, and we sound like absolute dog shit. Which is how that works. But I will. The first song, I'll never forget. Maybe it was like the second song. But like, after the trombone player's solo in the middle of the corniest samba I've ever heard in my life, he. Oh, it's a Latin band. <laughs> it's not a Latin band, which makes it worse. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He tries and stops the entire band after his solo while we're all still playing. Oh, yeah, I was at the show. Yeah, you were at the show. He, he like reaches his hands up and tries to stop us all everyone else stops but because I'm a fucking genius I kept playing and then he was try, trying to tell him was like hey can you like be quieter during my solo so that people can hear me Ooh. and he's like said this like live on stage and it was really awkward and I just kept playing and then he looked at me specifically and I'm like I gave him like the stink eye and he's like pretty please and then I said I, I said this I don't think he heard me I was like fuck you I mean you got a mic bro I did not have a mic. No, he did. Oh, yeah, he has a yeah, mic. Yeah. yeah, make it work, man. I know, he's got a mic, and he was, like, loud enough, honestly. Listeners, that was not the worst moment of that night. Not even close. Not even But close. that is frustrating. The most frustrating for me, because mm. at least I couldn't hear the main vocals when they came in. That was a yikes. Yeah. Please, if you ever feel, uh, fellow musicians, if you ever feel warning flags for, like, a one-gig band that you're just signing off for as a sub... Don't Run. do it. Don't do it. Dude, just, it's it not never even worth works, it. Never like, whatever out. networking opportunities you think nope. you're going to get, whatever uh, favor you think you're doing someone else. Nope. Yeah, I thought I was doing this for a favor for another keyboardist who I have dumped some really shitty gigs onto, but it turns out he quit that band. So, I, I, I didn't even, like, do any favors. So, if you ever find yourself in a position where, you know, you even have the basest instinct to run, do it. Fucking run. Far and fast. So, listen to anything good lately? Hell yeah, dude. Yeah? Hell yeah. So, I went to my favorite world music database, Mm -hmm. which is not Piero's Groovy. You don't say. (laughs) And I found me an Oud player who Mm. can rip hard. Uh, I'm talking about the famous Robbie Abu Khalil. He does oodlings of noodling. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. So yeah, he's fucking disgusting. Uh, he plays with he played with all the top jazz people. Mm-hmm. You know, Steve Swallow's on there. You F- know, Kenny back in the day, ECM there. made some pretty fucking crazy records. ECM is a nutty label. Dude. Yeah, they did a lot of weird shit. I don't know how they put this all together, but it's awesome. Yeah. So like, he's got like a million albums of this like Arabian jazz, and it sounds so good. Like even Kenny it's, Wheeler it's sounds good. Good. On it. <laughs> The Ood is good. All right, see you guys next week. No, <laughs> no uh, special shout-outs to his albums, uh, Blue Camel and Morton's Foot. Morton's Foot featuring a 
uh, throat singer singing very fast unison lines, and it's like the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, y'all should check that <laughs> out. I can mute you. <laughs> I might do that. God, you're a fucking asshole. Uh, what have you been listening to? I've been listening to Skip Spence oh. and his only studio album, Or, <laughs> which I did a little research on because okay. I've been enjoying it, but I don't know anything about him. Uh, I guess he like played drums in Jefferson Star- or Airplane. And then he was the singer-guitar player of Moby Grape and had a complete mental breakdown and tried to attack his bandmates with an axe. Nice. And they admitted to him uh, admitted him to a mental hospital. And shortly after, he recorded this album. And it makes a lot more sense <laughs> now that you know this background. But it's uh, really weird, dark, psychedelic 60s music. Um, it puts you in a weird mood. It's not happy. <laughs> it's not happy at all. Uh, but... He does a lot of cool stuff, and apparently he played every instrument on the album, too. Okay. Which is, you know, for that day, that's not that common. When is this, sorry? It's like 60s, 60s. late 60s. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did everything on it. So this is just after Jefferson Airplane, then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, check it out. It's uh, it's dark. It's cool. It's weird. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. And I it's think... It's good. Wow. Okay, we're definitely fucking done now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jake, what's your favorite cheese? See you next week. Mine is good.